Hey, fraudster. Welcome to the seventh episode of Beat Your Imposter, the podcast dedicated to defeating your brain at its own game. I'm your host, Eden, and you can find me on Twitter at Eden Waffles. If you missed the last episode, I'll give you a quick recap. We talked about toxic friends, some of the red flags that you'll find in a toxic friendship, and how to say goodbye nicely to that particular friend. This week, we're going to take a slight left turn. Today is the first of a two-part episode. The first part will be discussing the component of anxiety and how it is connected to your imposter. And next week, we will talk about depression. This week, we will talk about how anxiety and imposter syndrome is connected. We will talk about some of the more unusual symptoms and the unusual ways that your imposter will freak you out. And a few strategies on what you can do to help calm yourself and your imposter down again. The usual disclaimer before we begin. This podcast is not a substitute for professional therapy. It is not here to cure or fix you. The ideas in this podcast are intended to be used as instruments of thought, insight, and discussion into the issues of self-esteem, anxiety, and our careers. So with that out of the way, let's get into the first topic. So I have some very bad news, and this news weighted pretty heavily on me for a while when I first learned it. So I don't blame you if you don't feel happy about what I'm about to say. Your imposter will never really go away. There's probably a good reason why this is the case. And I also feel that this reason is linked into the reason why imposter syndrome isn't listed in the DSM-5 as an official mental illness. The DSM-5 is the acronym for the Diagnostic Statistical Manual of Mental Illness, Revision 5. In my opinion, imposter syndrome is a pseudo-mental illness because it is made up of components of low self-esteem, anxiety, and depression. These issues were largely influenced not by the genetics in our body, but by the environment that we were subject to as children and teenagers. After all, we were held to impossible standards as children, whether we were achieving them or not. So let's talk first about the anxiety component within your imposter. I've ripped this straight from the DSM-5 in anxiety disorders, and I will share this with you now Obviously, the source, I will list DSM-5 as a source in, my, in the description. Anxiety disorders include disorders that share features of excessive fear and anxiety and related behavioral disturbances. Fear is the emotional response to real or perceived imminent threat, whereas anxiety is the anticipation of future threat. These two states can overlap, but they are different. Fear is often associated with surges of autonomic arousal. That is the fight, flight, freeze, or please, I believe is the fourth one now. Thoughts of immediate danger. 
and escaping beha- escape behaviours, whereas anxiety is more often associated with muscle tension and vigilance in preparation for future danger and cautious or avoidant behaviours. Sometimes the level of fear or anxiety is reduced by pervasive avoidance behaviours. So that's a lot of psychological jargon. What I like about that paragraph is that it clearly shows the difference between anxiety and fear and how our bodies and our brains respond differently to each. That's why I thought I would include it in today's podcast and share it with you. Within the anxiety disorder in the DSM-5 are categories such as the social anxiety disorder, panic disorder, and also agoraphobia, which is a fear of open spaces. Today, however, I'm just going to focus on one, and that is generalized anxiety disorder. I've chosen generalized anxiety disorder as that is the disorder that most people with anxiety suffer from, but not everybody, of course. For generalized anxiety disorder, we'll just head straight back to the DSM, and I will quote it again. The essential feature of generalized anxiety disorder is excessive anxiety and worry about a number of events or activities. The intensity, duration or frequency of the anxiety and worry is out of proportion to the actual likelihood or impact of the anticipated event. The individual finds it difficult to control the worry and to keep worrisome thoughts from interfering with attention to tasks at hand. Adults with generalised anxiety disorder often worry about everyday, routine life circumstances such as possible job responsibilities, health and finance, the health of family members, misfortune to their children or loved ones, or minor matters such as doing chores or being late for an appointment. Children with generalised anxiety disorder tend to worry excessively about their competence or the quality of their performance. And during the course of the disorder, the focus of worry may shift from one concern to another. I wanted to include this line because I feel that right there encapsulates many imposters, mine included. This feeds back to my theory that imposter syndrome is made up of components of different mental illnesses the main ones being anxiety and depression, which tend to be comorbid. That is, they go well hand in hand together. Let's talk about the diagnostic criteria. Now, the diagnostic criteria is essentially two big words that describe the symptoms of anxiety. Generally, with a diagnostic criteria, when we are diagnosing a mental illness such as anxiety, we will need to see the behavior repeated for a long time. It depends on the mental illness. It could be three weeks. It could be six months. It it really depends on, you know, the particular mental illness that we're after. So I'm going to run now through the diagnostic criteria. If you suffer from anxiety, I will give you a quick trigger warning. We are talking a lot about anxiety and sometimes talking about a mental illness that you have can make it worse. If you feel that you need to stop and take a break, please do. I probably will. You just won't notice because I'm really good at editing. (laughs) So 
the diagnostic criteria, starting with A, excessive anxiety and worry occurring more days than not for at least six months after a number of events or activities. Examples of this could be work or school performance. Criteria B, the individual finds it difficult to control the worry. Moving on to C, criteria C, the anxiety and worry are associated with three or more of the following six symptoms, with at least some symptoms having been present for more days than not across the past six months. Only one item is required in children. I have to add this part in too, obviously. So here are the six symptoms. One, restlessness or feeling keyed up or on edge. Two, easily fatigued. Three, difficulty concentrating or mind going blank. Four, irritability. Five, muscle tension. I get this one a lot, especially in my neck, because I bring my shoulders up and I squeeze them quite a bit, so I get a lot of shoulder and neck pain myself. And number six, sleep disturbance. It could be difficulty falling asleep, difficulty staying asleep, restlessness, or just generally unsatisfying. Maybe you slept for a full eight and a half hours, but you still feel like crap afterwards. Moving on to criteria D, the anxiety worry or physical symptoms cause clinically significant distress or impairment in social, occupational or other areas of functioning. Criteria E. The disturbance is not attributable to the physiological effects of a substance. That is, if you are on medication that is known to cause symptoms of anxiety as a effect, a side effect, then you may not have generalized anxiety disorder. You may also have a medical condition such as hypothyroidism or hypothyroidism, which are both known to cause anxiety and depression. And moving on to criteria F, the disturbance is not better explained by another mental disorder. For example, having severe recurring panic attacks would be indicative of a panic disorder, not generalized anxiety disorder or having severe aversions to going outside and talking to people, social anxiety disorder or social phobia. So those are all the criteria. Please feel free to pause here and take a break. It's always hard to discuss anxiety when you can find anecdotal stories of yourself within the symptoms. For example, me telling you Sometimes you might feel worried and you'll go, oh, yes, I do actually feel worried about uh, things when I think about things a lot. So you can see now that we've gone through the DSM's references to anxiety disorder and also the diagnostic criteria, you may have felt as well that you identified with some of those symptoms. I certainly did. So you can see that we're starting to paint a picture now. When we look at the categories of imposter that we've talked about previously, you know, we've got the rugged individualist, we've got the perfectionist. We can see that a lot of the behaviours that we display when we think a particular way or in a particular category are very closely linked to anxious behaviours that you will actually see in, in illnesses such as generalised anxiety disorder. I'd like to move on now to topic two. So I think we've done pretty well with topic one. We've really 
teased out anxiety and we are starting to paint a picture now of how it is connected to our imposter. So let's now move on to topic two. Topic two, how anxiety and your imposter freak you out. Now, you're probably wondering if you have generalized anxiety disorder. And if you are, I can give you the answer now. The answer is, I don't know. If you are concerned, and I mean really concerned that you have been displaying many symptoms of generalized anxiety disorder throughout the course of the past six months, please go see a qualified psychiatrist to get your mental health checked. Go see them, not me. I'm a podcaster. I am educated, but I'm a podcaster. <laughs> so, But what I can give you is some of my own anecdotal experiences that I have had dealing with both anxiety and imposter syndrome. As you can see now, they do go hand in hand. And we will start now building up more of a picture of the components of anxiety within your imposter. So if you struggle with anxiety, you'll probably have experienced these things before too. So let's just get stuck into it. The first thing that you will notice when it comes to your imposter is the negative feedback. You'll notice that you have this these persistent voices in your brain. It could be one, it could be several. They're not voices that are indicative of mental illness, such as a dissociative identity disorder, but they're voices. They are nasty voices in your brain that pick at your self-esteem when you are feeling stressed out. They go by a few different terms. I've heard them other names for negative mental feedback also include crushes. That's what Valerie Young calls her negative feedback. Ants, which is automatic negative thoughts, and obviously bad voices. You will also notice too that if you're tired, you'll probably have a louder imposter voice in your brain. You'll notice that the more tired you are or the more stressed out you are, the louder the voice gets versus if you are in a calm, relaxed state. The next symptom is the inability to start a task. This is pretty common for anxiety, but often it feels like we decide we want to do something but we're just not sure what or we decide to do something and we begin feeling feelings of overwhelmedness so we feel feelings of being overwhelmed possibly by options or perhaps by persistent fear of failure or fear of success or just a feeling that you have no idea what you're doing your imposter voice might even come in and say, well, if you have no idea what you're doing, then why are you doing it? So that inability is often translated into avoidance in anxiety. So rather than look at the task, you just avoid it completely. So rather than in anxiety terms, rather than go and fold those clothes because the pile is so massive, you just ignore it and you just keep piling more clean clothes on top of the pile until the pile is so huge that it falls. Another symptom which is very similar to the inability to start a task, but actually the opposite. It's the inability to finish a task. And if you're a perfectionist, you'll know this one really well. You'll have a lot of fears surrounding your work quality. Is it perfect? Are there minor errors? 
Does this sentence sound right? Does this thing fit here? Does it look good? Should I change this? And often you'll do very minor tweaks that take a really long time that probably weren't necessary to begin with. You may also notice you'll have that, again, that negative voice or thoughts which prevent you from continuing your work or they will encourage you to quit when you are just so close to finishing the task, all you need to do is power through it. I get this one a lot. Usually about three quarters of the way through a task, I will have a moment, I suppose, where I will go, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm talking about. Oh, I've just messed up this entire project completely. And then I will usually have to go through a series of NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, or a little bit of cognitive behavioral therapy, but I will usually employ a few strategies such as you can distract yourself from those thoughts or you can use compassion and tell yourself, hey, look, it's really not that bad. We'll get it in post. We'll get it in editing. Let's just keep pushing through it. I will find ways of getting myself over that particular wall I've heard the wall being being described in ADHD as the wall of awful, which is a really a wall. A met, the wall is a metaphor for the task that you have to do. And the bigger the task feels, the higher the wall is. So it's awful to climb it. And you, as you climb the wall, there are bricks missing or the wall is uneven and it's hard for you to get a grip to climb it. And that is a representation of the trials and roadblocks that you will face and the problems that you will have to solve while you're doing a task. I, I love that, the metaphor, the wall of awful. I must do like a whole, I must do something with that eventually. <laughs> Let's move on. So we have crushes, ants, negative feedback. We have the inability to start and finish a task for whatever reason. We also have a fear of people. We have a fear of reaching out and getting help when we need it. We have a fear of networking. We have a fear of asking people to look at our work because we don't want it critiqued. We have a fear when it just comes to people and working with other people. As imposters, like when, when you have imposter syndrome, you feel very guarded when it comes to your work. You feel very much like if you were to take critique on your work, whether it be constructive or destructive, it feels like a real blow to your soul. It feels like you're not good enough because your work is not good enough. It's really hard to break that connection, that emotional connection between you and the product that you produce. Honestly, I usually just sit there and tell myself, you just need it to be adequate. It doesn't have to be great. It doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be adequate. That one usually works. I often find as well that if I do need help, it's very hard for me to ask for help. I identify a little bit with all the categories of the imposter syndrome, of the imposter, and I find that this one in particular sits within that rugged individualist mindset, which is the no, 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 you go it alone mindset. So I struggle with this one a lot. I struggle to ask for help. I struggle to ask for critical feedback. And I struggle to push content out because I worry about the kind of criticism that will come back to me. Now, I find this really funny because when it comes to the internet, you're going to get that criticism. And see, I know this. I know this. I know that I'm going to get 
dislikes. I know that I'm going to get people that contradict my views and opinions and beliefs of imposter syndrome, of mental illness. I know this, but that doesn't stop me from feeling terrified at the thought of one of those people coming down and saying, pointing at my work and saying, hi, wait a second, this isn't what you should have written. Even though we've gone off on a slight tangent, I wanted to point this particular nugget out because this is actually a belief. And these beliefs can be broken. These beliefs can be remapped and rerouted to something more healthy and much more confidence boosting. And we're going to talk about that in another episode. We're going to talk about how to re-redo your beliefs. We'll talk about that another day. Let's keep going. The next point that, that I have is just that overwhelming feeling that nothing is working. I will often have bad days like that myself where I feel like nothing I do it works. And I think everybody has that. I think you have that. I think I have that. I think my mum has that, my, my sister, my brother, your family, your friends. We all have days where it just doesn't feel like anything goes in our favour. But when you feel like everything that you do in your career, every person you meet, every avenue you create, every door you open, every piece of work that you produce, if you really feel like you're not really making sense of it and nothing you do is working, then that is a persistent problem. And again, that is a belief that we can change. We can change that. We can try to change it. <laughs> and the last one, the overwhelming feeling of guilt as a result of that nothing or the overwhelming feeling of guilt when you finally stop. That very much plays into the superwoman mindset of imposter syndrome, that whole idea of being able to do everything without stopping forever and ever. So you will be the type of person to wake up at 4am to do your 4am routine and then you will go to bed at 11 at night after a full day of being productive and getting work done but also juggling whatever life events happen in your way such as getting your kids off to school or helping them with homework or helping your friend with their uni work or going to uni or maybe you're studying yourself. There's that feeling of guilt when you finally sit down and go, oh. That's me done for the day. That feeling of guilt starts to set in where you think to yourself, but are you really done? Are you really done? Are you sure? Because you didn't do you didn't do the dishes. You didn't do any work on any of your projects today. Well, I mean you did, but you didn't really do any work. <laughs> I hate that feeling of guilt. That's a very hard one to break. It's hard to sit back at the end of the day at about nine o'clock at night and look back on your day and go, hmm, yeah, I've had a good productive day. And there's that anxiety that comes into play again because you're constantly self-doubting. You're doubting that you've had a good day. You're doubting that you've done enough when you have, and you've probably done more than enough that day, but you just don't realize it. Imposters like to magnify the mistakes Imposters like to tell you that that one mistake you made during the day when you dropped a pen or when you said the wrong word to somebody was so bad, so, so bad, that it discounts every good thing you did that day. That's funny how that works, isn't it? That's funny how our brains work like that, where we magnify those mistakes. 
we don't even think about how successful the day was and how many things we did because we're just so preoccupied with that one thing. That one thing that stuffed everything up. So these are the more, let's say, just generalized, general symptoms of an imposter and imposter syndrome that you may not have realized but are actually very closely linked to anxiety. So you see how together we have now gone through what the anxi- what anxiety is, the generalized anxiety disorder, and now we can see and we can start building that picture and we can build that picture of how these individual components and how these symptoms come out in your imposter that prevent you from moving forward and achieving the things that you want to achieve and achieving success. I think we should move on to topic three. (laughs) I'm feeling a little bit anxious. How are you feeling? A little uncomfortable. That's okay. We're going to talk now about strategies to help calm your imposter down when they're just getting in your face and freaking you out. Well, let's get into it. The reason why I like to try and separate your imposter from you is often because the voices that you hear in your head that belong to your imposter are not you. It's very important to separate that inner monologue from your past life impressions because this is the key in knowing what voice is saying what and what voice belongs to who. Much in that same spirit, we also want to do detective work, especially when we're having days when your imposter is six feet tall and bearing down on you. So in that spirit, we must stop and we must mindfully examine where this inner negativity is coming from. We must examine whether the voice is yours, whether the voice is an echo from your from your life experience, or whether it could possibly be a symptom of another internal issue. So the following exercises are going to help you determine everything we just talked about. So we'll start with remedial reflective activities. I know it gets recommended all the time, but here we go. I'm going to recommend it again. Journaling. Journaling is so important. Journaling helps you unlock a lot of those components of your psyche without you really realizing it. It also lets you put on paper the things that are bothering you, thus closing loops in your brain. So a good way to journal if you are worrying about things is to create a worry journal. You start it off with, today I am worried about dot, 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 and then go. You can set yourself a timer and just do some free form writing, which is where you literally press start and you just go. Doesn't matter what you say, doesn't matter. Just write, 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 write until the timer is done. And then when the timer is finished, go back and read it. You'll notice all sorts of things come out if you do though that sort of free form writing, which is it's very therapeutic. Um, you can also do wellness checklists. So wellness checklists are checklists that go through very basic but important things to eliminate the possibility of your anxiety or your tall imposter just being a, a, a link to something physical. So for instance, 
a wellness checklist will go through how much sleep you had last night, whether you have eaten, whether you have exercised, whether you have spoken to someone and had a good, meaningful conversation, whether you had a bad dream. I know bad dreams can dysregulate you something awful. I've had, I will have bad dreams and then I will wake up and I will be in the foulest of moods and I will not have a clue why. And it's not until I do a wellness checklist that I go, oh, that's right. I was dreaming that I had to give a presentation about that project that I do need to give a presentation for. And I dreamt that I gave the presentation and it went horribly and everybody laughed at me. And now, and that's why I'm in a bad mood. So journaling, very important. Another remedial reflective activity is just visualization. The good old lie down, breathe nice and gently. In and out and use that beautiful creative brain of yours to visualize your best person. Visualize your best outcome. Visualize the remedies that you will apply if a bad situation happens. So say, for instance, you have to give a, a, a speech to your colleagues and you are worried that you are going to stuff up, say the wrong word, drop your notes, something like that. You can visualize yourself coming back from that with a smile and a laugh and saying, Haha, silly me, and everybody else laughing and everybody's having a good time. And, and suddenly that worry, that fear has been remedied and is now positive. It's now a positive experience. And let's be honest, we all make mistakes when we get up in front of an audience, whether it be one, 50, 50,000. We all make mistakes. We're human. Visualize yourself as well, telling yourself that it's okay to be human and make mistakes. That's a big one for me because I will often make lots of mistakes. And I have to tell myself that I'm allowed to make mistakes because I'm human. Because if I don't, I will get into that loop of thinking about how I should have known better and I'm so stupid, which is not true. I'm not stupid. I'm smart. So visualization, very important. Another one is positive self-talk, which is a very simple exercise of just simply standing in front of a mirror and talking to yourself, telling yourself you're awesome, telling yourself you're the best, telling yourself that you have the damn amazing hair, like damn, look at that hair, it is on point, telling yourself that you are fly AF, you know, telling yourself that you are more than what you think you are, but you're getting better and you're taking the steps to be better. It's good to say these things to a mirror because then it's you telling yourself and you don't need that visualization component. So there's those remedial reflective activities. Another activity you can do is you can make an achievements list. An achievements list is a huge task. Okay, not a huge task. I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to get you anxious. It's okay. It's okay. It's not a huge task, but it is a fairly sizable task. So it is a task that you may want to do over a few days. But an achievements list essentially outlines and notes every single thing that you think is an achievement. You may not feel that it was an achievement, but you know it was. Did you learn to walk? Did you learn to talk? Write those down. Did you win an award for a project in school? Did somebody say nice something nice about your hair the other day? Did you submit an application for a job that you were so unsure you were going to get, 
but you thought, stuff it, I'll do it anyway, and you got an interview? Did you submit an assignment on time? Did you get up today and brush your teeth? All of these things are an achievement because sometimes just getting out of bed is a bloody achievement. And we'll talk more about that next week, the depression component. So write it down, write it down, write it down, write them all down. Every time you think of something, write it down. And then when you feel that you are have enough, and you will have a lot by the time you're done, you can now go back and you can read every single one of those achievements and you can tell yourself that you did that. You may have had help from someone, and that's okay if you did, because we all need help every now and then. We all need assistance. But you did it. You spearheaded the the initiative. You wrote that part of the project and presented it flawlessly. You got a standing ovation at your second grade spelling bee. You did it. How cool is an achievements list? It's huge. It's a big, long project, but... It's a really nice thing because once you're done with it, you can just go back to it and you can just keep looking at it. Whenever you feel worried, whenever you feel like you haven't done enough in your life, you can go back to your achievements list and you can go, nope, see, look, fucking four pages worth of things that I have done. So, meh, stupid brain. The next thing is mindfulness. Yes, okay, all right, please don't roll your eyes, okay, hear me out. I'm I'm just kidding mindfulness. Mindfulness is the action of noticing what's going on in your body, noticing the thoughts that are entering and exiting your brain, noticing what tone of voice that these thoughts have or what tone of voice you are using, noticing that these thoughts might not be your inner monologue. Notice that they might be echoes of an overbearing parent. Notice that they might be cruel words said to you by a toxic friend or colleague. Notice that maybe they don't actually apply to you as much as you think they do. I actually wrote down the wellness checklist, but I did talk about it earlier. So the list of basic questions that just give you a one-step removed perspective of your current state of mind. Questions like, did I sleep well last night? Did I have any bad dreams that could be a triggering emotional thoughts? Did I eat properly yesterday? Did I exercise? A wellness checklist is so handy because sometimes the reason why you are having a bad day and you feel dysregulated is just simply because you didn't get enough sleep. Like I said, the more tired you are, the more persistent and the more, the more loud your imposter will be. So a wellness checklist is so handy there. Um, I will happily create a wellness checklist and I'll just chuck it up on my website. So when I get around to doing that, I will link, I will link it in the description and you can go and download it. And it's really simple. It takes like two minutes to do and it just gives you such a broader perspective on your current state of mind and what could be influencing that. So I think we'll leave it there. That is a very fun, heavy, uncomfortable topic. I feel you did very well. I feel I did very well. I feel like we've had a very productive discussion today. Next week, we're going to talk about what to do when your imposter gets you down. So we will be looking at the components of depression in imposter syndrome especially when we, need, when we have periods of inactivity. And we'll also talk about ways we can take care of ourselves when burnout sets in. 
I have had an absolute blast being here with you today. Thank you for being here with me. I need to do my plugs real quick, so I'll just do them now. If you need to find me, I am on Twitter at Eden Waffles. I also have a website, EdenV.com. I'm also on YouTube under the same name. My channel name is Eden V. Thank you so much for being here, and I will see you next week, fellow fraudster. Ta-ta!